Hey, hello, hello. It's Joy Foster, founder of Tech Pixies, and we are filming the Sparkling Thrive podcast live on our Facebook page. And of course, it goes up on to our podcast. Uh, I am delighted this evening to be interviewing Renee Warren. Uh, she's got a great story, but also she's kicking off or is part of our financial empowerment, financial independence series, which I really have been feeling for a long time we needed to do. So Renee, uh, welcome. I'm delighted you're here and I can't wait to get stuck in on this conversation. Yes, Joy. Well, thanks so much for having me. I love it. I'm on the West Coast of Canada, so I'm almost like halfway around the world from you right now. Yeah. So it's fun when we get to do the international guests because uh, we, you know, we get to change up the time that we do our podcast and things. So tell me your story. I, I know uh, the ladies here won't know you because you're not in our UK ecosystem yet. But um, tell, tell your story a little bit about your background and, um, and what you do and how you help women. Mm -hmm. And then we'll talk about the importance of financial independence and financial empowerment for women. Well, I'll start with the first part first, because it actually kind of rolls into my story. But uh, when I was 17 years old, my mom told me to go out and get a job. Um, and so I said, I'm not getting a job because I know entrepreneurs, they don't work a lot and they make a lot of money. So I'm just going to go start my own business. But that which I did, uh, I started a seasonal restaurant for four years. That was enough to keep me debt free my entire life. Um, and so the financial independence came from the get go. And yes, I had went, I did university. I traveled. I had a corporate job when I lived in, in uh, Toronto. Um, but I've always been an entrepreneur and I love the freedom, the flexibility, and also there's no ceiling limit of what you can earn. And so all of that to say, I've been an entrepreneur forever. I've run communications companies. I've started three uh, agencies. One was acquired. The last one was award-winning. Um, and I actually had that last PR agency when I had both my babies in the same first year of me starting that business. Um, and now I run We Wild Women and I teach all of the wonderful female entrepreneurs how to do it right from the very beginning. Gosh, that's so important because I think I am a female entrepreneur like yourself in the sense that, you know, I've set up three different businesses and I've done different things. And uh, interestingly enough, I definitely did not do it right from the get go. You know, I stumbled through it big time, especially the first one and then the second one. And it wasn't until I got to the third business about, you know, 12 years into the journey that I actually started to figure out how to do things the right way because um, I didn't have guidance. And I, I think what I've learned on this journey is, is having guidance is huge. It's very important to have guidance and important to have people who've been where you want to be and who help you get to where you want to go. So um, when you work with women, what, what are some of the key things that you talk to them about to make sure that they get off on the right foot? Yeah. So a lot of these women are early stage. So they're usually within the first three to five years of their business, mostly three. Um, and a lot of the the preconceived notions of starting a business in any industry is how much money they think they have to spend on the things to get things going. And so when we start working on their goals, like we do a one year, three year, five year goal in terms of what they want to earn in their business, um, we break it down. And when I'm like, okay, the next three months, what do we, what can we accomplish together? And it's actually doing like the scrappy business things. It's like creating lists of people to reach out to, growing your network. It's like 
what can you do that is the use of your time and expertise over actually investing into like software or, or hiring people? Um, and so understanding the business fundamentals in terms of not having to spend the money necessarily, but using the resources you have to get the next customer or client and then to grow from there. And then understanding the journey of what happens like in the first year, like, the CEO founder it takes to create a million dollar business is a different person that is required to go beyond a million dollars, then beyond five and then beyond 10. And so what do we have to work on mentally, mindset wise, schedule systems wise, goals wise to actually get you to achieve those first few year goals. Um, but a lot of it is mindset and also like dis dismembering their beliefs of what it means to actually start a successful business because they think they have to spend all this money. They have to have the most perfect website and the most big social media following. I'm like, no, you can sell with a small list. You have a hundred people on your email list and you can still make money. Well, gosh, um, I remember when we had, um, when we were, you know, hundred, 200 people on the mailing list and we had a conversion rate of like 38% or something, <laughs> you know, it was like, so I, I remember when I did pitch to investors cause we did raise, raise money. But I remember saying, well, right now our conversion rate is 38%, yeah. you know, and I said, of course, I expect that to drop as we grow faster. But yeah. it was interesting because you're right. You know, when, when you when you only have a couple hundred people on the mailing list, guess what? You can email them individually. You can call yeah. them directly. You can really get to know them. And that's what we did. I mean, Juliet, who is our uh, has been in our kind of sales and support for a long time. She's now one of our, our life coaches. Um, but she literally used to do that. She used to just go through the, the list and call people and talk to them and say, hey, you know, you signed up for our mailing list. You were interested in the program. How can I help answer any questions? And, you know, we just never missed anybody. We spoke to everybody. And I think that's one of the reasons why we we had such a high conversion rate at an early day. Um, you know, we were calling everybody. So yeah, and those those one on one conversations allow you to actually get into like the psyche of your customer. So you can ask them the questions to understand their problem to provide a solution they actually need. It's a lot of legwork at first, but honestly, I look at any successful entrepreneur, any successful person in their career, the number one thing that is common amongst every single one of them is that they have a network and they continue to nurture that network and grow it. Yeah. Now I would say, and you would probably agree with this, I would imagine then apart from knowing that you don't have to spend a crazy amount of money in the early days on building out a team and you know, all the fancy software, one of the things that gets women caught up is that they don't charge what they're worth and mm -hmm. they, so they undercharge or they don't charge at all. And so they, they don't actually set themselves up to be in a position where they could hire someone to help them grow their business because they're actually not making enough money to even cover their own expenses. So let's talk about that. I mean, that's quite important for women. Is that another thing you talk to them about? Oh yeah. So Ari, I always bring up this one example. When I had my PR agency, we, so our, our going rate was like generally about 5K a month US on a six to 12 month retainer to do our basic PR content marketing plan. Um, and there was one day I was like, oh my gosh, we have we have a waiting list of people that want to work with us and they're all great companies. I don't want them to jump ship. But what do we do? And so my husband, I was like, hey, what do we do? Like, Dan, I don't know. You have all these people. And he goes, we have to increase your prices. And I was like, oh, I was a little apprehensive. And I'm like, by how much? How does this work? Is there a formula? I don't get this. And he's like, I don't know. Double it. I'm like, going from 5K to 10K a month? 
on a 12 month agreement. Like you can't just double it. And he's like, okay. So the next day we're on a sales call, my business partner and I, and her and I had already talked about how much we need to increase our prices because we were crushing it. We were getting clients in Forbes, entrepreneur, you name it, like Steve Harvey show. We had a lot of credibility and we were like a legit PR agency. And so we forgot about this, the call or the, the conversation about how much we should be increasing our prices. So we're on the sales call the next day. I had this conversation with my husband, but she doesn't even know that I had this conversation yet. And so we got the sale and he goes, okay, ladies, um, like how much is this going to cost me? And she looks at me and she's just like, oh my God, like this was our moment. Remember the packages were 5k a month. And I go, it's a 10k US on a 12 month agreement. And he, she looked at me and she's like, what the and then he's like, yeah, sure. Send over the paperwork. We're like, okay, we're shaking. We're sweating. We're like, oh my God, we did it. So in that moment, we immediately leveled up. Like that was the moment that turned us into a million dollar agency because we're like, why? And you know what? On our end, we had such good systems and communications and like project management flows that it actually didn't change anything on our end in terms of how much work we had to do. It just set a different context for them. Now they have, now they went from looking at a Honda to being sold a Mercedes Benz, knowing that they're getting luxury. Yeah, and what's interesting about that is what you said is obviously this point in your career, you've been going for a while, you knew what you're doing, you had the connections, but you didn't necessarily recognize it. But I love the fact that about the waiting list. I had a when I was building websites, I had a client in the wedding um, space, and she she was always saying, "Well, I can't pay you, you know, I can't pay you," and uh, and I was, and I, and I'd say, but aren't you booked? And she'd say, yeah, I'm booked till June or I'm booked till Christmas. You know, she was booked six months in advance. And I said, well, if you raise your prices, then you can pay me. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's kind of, you know, if you're booked that far out in advance, just raise your prices. And I think people don't recognize that, that actually one of the reasons that people become very expensive is because the, the demand for them becomes mm -hmm. bigger and bigger. And, uh, you know, and actually, you have to rise up to that because otherwise you're not respecting the facts that you've achieved these these new levels and um, and earn and, and deserve it. And I think that's that's important for, for women to understand that they they deserve to earn what they're worth. Like that's 100%. something that women just don't know and feel and believe. And but if we can believe that we deserve to earn what we're worth. And then we start going for it. it it's just, like you said, you know, he said, where do I sign? How do I do it? And that's, you know, that's always interesting how people react when they can afford something and they want something. They figure out how to do it. Yeah. So like the signal is if you have a waiting list for your product or service or your stuff is selling out is a good indication that there's a demand for what you're selling. And especially if you have great reviews is a moment to increase your prices because yeah. then it also that increase in revenue gives you more capacity. Right? And you want that capacity to even have a better product or service for your customers so that they even have better reviews so that you can start doing more with your time. And I know when people are first starting out and they don't have those testimonials, it's a new product or service. They're like, I don't know how much to charge. It's like, go in and get those use cases first. Like go in low ball. It's better to go in a little bit lower than too high and not get anybody. And then crush it for those customers. Do the best job ever. Get those testimonials, get them raving about what you do, and then you increase the price even more and more. So like I'm, for me in this particular business, being in it for a year and a half now, every single time I have a new program launch, the prices go up 
because I see the value, like helping women uncover thousands of lost dollars in revenue um, monthly in their business just by doing a couple of simple little tweaks. And it's like that alone for them was like a game changer for their business. So like perfect testimonial, right? So it's like, okay, it's cool. I go, what was that? Like, what was the value of that to you? Right. So $9,000 coaching program. She goes, the value of that to me over time is probably a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. And I go, so would you pay $9,000 to know that you're going to get a hundred thousand dollars in revenue? She's like, absolutely. I would. Yeah. Right. Well, and it's the same thing in tech pixies. I mean, we always say that the skills that you've got will give you at least an extra thousand a month, which is 12,000 a year. And then we say, if you multiply that by 10 years, that's 120,000. So, you know, for me, I just think, well, a 3000 pound investment, I I think it's probably worth more. You know, the fact that you could conceivably in a 10 years period, just on a basic level, earn 12,000 a year. And then, of course, you can go as far up as you want. But, you know, generally what we say is with these social media skills, you can work part time, have a really good contract with one client, make a 12000 a year. If you want to go full time and you want to go for more advanced stuff, you know, you can make 52000 a year. So, you know, you multiply that by the time by the 10 years and you've got somewhere between 100000 and 500000 back into your pocket. Is that worth 3000 pounds? I guess I think it's worth more, but I think what you're pointing out is, is understanding the value of your product. And like you said, you know, you start with a lower cost. I mean, we, we, we've done that too. We, we raised our prices as demand for it has grown. And also as we've increased the service, you know, we have two coaching calls a week, um, year round pretty much. So 36 weeks out of the year, you get two coaching calls. I mean, there's no other programs out there that do that. that. But there aren't. And, yeah. But I don't do those calls. We have we have coaches. And that's the other thing, too. We have coaches who are expert in the things that they do. They take those calls. And so you're getting not only are you getting really expert advice, but you're getting it from people who also were students of ours who then now go on to be coaches, which is also very that's exciting. Cool. They know what it's yeah. like. That's so cool. So what else do you tell women that they need to focus on? So there's I mean, the money mindset blocks. And it's just crazy crazy. women that don't feel like they actually deserve it. And like, maybe there are very few women that don't actually deserve it, but rarely is that the case. And I don't want to say compare yourself to men because I don't think that's fair at all. It's like compare yourself to the value you know you can bring. And I always default to this quote. It's like, I don't charge you for the 30 minutes it took you, it took me to do the job. I charge you for the 10 years it took me to learn to do the job in 10 minutes or in 30 minutes. We think of the value of a service is, is the time it takes to do the work. But we neglect to think about all the things we actually know that allow us to do the job better than people that have never done it before. And I always say you get what you pay for, Right. And so if you can outsource on Fiverr and you can get some decent talent to do tasks at like $5 an hour, but chances are it's not going to be good. It might be okay. But you know, if you go down the street to the woman who has this design shop, maybe her name's Joy and she charges $250 an hour. She has a great portfolio. You are going to get a good product because in business, there's the trifecta. You can get things good, fast, or cheap, but you can only pick two. Right. So if it's good and fast, it's not cheap. If it's cheap and fast, it's not good. Do you get the point? So like, how are you positioning yourself? And don't position yourself based on being the most affordable option. 
Never do that. That's what Walmart's for. <laughs> and you're not a Walmart. <laughs> I love that. And that's so important. I mean, one of the things that I tell women to do is write down a number. You know, when they're thinking about their year, write down a number. And then I say, okay. And then if you wrote down that number, crossed it out and erased it, because very often they'll write a number and they'll be like, whoa, that's way too big for me. And then I'm going to cross it out and erase it. And it's actually going, okay, well, the thing is, if your brain doesn't start focusing on what it wants to make, you're not going to make it. And I remember when um, I had my second business and I, it was the first time I got kind of a mentor um, to help me. And, uh, and actually one of my other mentors said something along the lines, I mean, much later, but just said, you know, hope is not a business plan, right? You know, so, <laughs> but mm -hmm. I did, I conducted my business like, and I'm a Christian. So I was like, you know, I don't want to limit God. You know, if God wants to give me this big business, I don't want to limit him. So I don't want to put a number. I don't want to cap what God can do. <laughs> and I still, I'm still, you know, still a Christian, still a Christ follower. I still, you know, but I, what I learned from my mentor was actually, Joy, if you put a plan in place and put numbers down, you're mm -hmm. going to be able to start working towards that. Whereas mm -hmm. if it's just open ended, then you don't have you don't have a plan. You don't have a direction. And I think what then I learned is to push yourself and go beyond what you think you can do. And, and also to listen to that still quiet voice inside you, you know, that, that puts the bigger number down than you would have ever imagined you know and and though and to not ignore that because the your intuition is so strong that's such a female trait i think is intuition in business and oh yeah i, I think you, you got to practice that it oh it's so strong um i actually recently wrote an entrepreneur article about why systems are more important than goals because goals anybody can write down any goal and be like i want to make a million dollars next month haven't even cracked 20,000. So how am I supposed to make a million dollars next? Right. But you can set the goal for a year and you work backwards. So it's like set the goal. Goal is easy to say and share and write down. The process is how you're going to achieve it, which makes it scalable. So if your goal in business is in three years to make a million dollars, it's like, that's great. So like work backwards. What does that actually look like monthly? Well, it turns out to be $83,000 a month. US dollars to make a million in a year. So when I say that people are like, Oh, and I'm like, that's like $20,000 a week. Whoa, that's a lot of money. How do I do that? It's like, I don't know. I don't know your business. But the whole point is, but you have processes to achieve it. That's repeatable systems that are repeatable. Everything is documented. You you know, what works, what doesn't, and you give it time then you can actually achieve those goals. Kind of like you want to lose 20 pounds. Like, well, maybe you can lose 20 pounds by next month. It depends like lots of circumstances, but it's likely not going to happen. If you have a system to actually start losing that weight. Maybe the goal is 20 pounds in six months, which is very achievable. You know, you have to cut out certain foods and exercise and drink a lot of water. It's actually quite simple for a healthy person. For someone that doesn't have any like hormonal problems or any underlying issues, they can lose the weight. They have to create the system to reach the goal. And that system might mean, okay, I'm working out three times a week and I'm going to bed at nine as opposed to 10 and all these things, right? Follow the process. It's the process that makes you successful. It's not the goal. I love that. And what the goal is, is like a guidepost, right? It helps you to go, okay, what processes and systems do I need to put in place in order to get there? Yes. I I always say to women who want to lose weight, I always say, don't focus on losing the weight. Don't focus on the weight. What you want to focus on is 
who do you have to become and what do you have to do in order to have the weight loss you want to have, right? So it's that be, do, have versus have, do, be. And it's that, that concept of, okay, a person who is healthy, what do they do? Who, what do you have to become to be that person who does that thing? And, you know, that's where, that's where you do. You put down the systems. Okay, I got to go for a walk every single day. Okay, I've got to drink water and not Coke. Okay, I've got to, you know, get rid of the biscuits and replace it with fruit. And, and exactly what you're saying is 100% what we say as well, but just is to focus on the person you have to become to be that healthy person. It's actually focusing on being a healthy person, just like it's focusing on being a healthy business person. And a healthy business person has a margin on their product, mm -hmm. which means they have a profit on their product. They have um, the ability to uh, service the product. You know, I think that was the, the interesting thing was putting in systems for the way that we ran the the website agency. When we, we used to do like whatever anyone wanted, you know, we'd say, mm -hmm. well, what kind of website do you want? We'll just build it. And then we're like, this is not working because to learn an entire new system every time was impossible. So then we right. said, okay, here's the theme you get and here's the 20 different ways we can build it. You choose, you know, and it was yeah. the same price and it was the same system. And even though we could do it in less time, we charged what we used to charge to build it out fully because we figured out the system. Exactly. You figured out the system, the system, the system, the system, just kind of like McDonald's got so successful because they have their system and they have expectations. You know, you can get an entire meal made for you in like under five minutes or whatever the rule is. And they have their, their, their systems in the back of actually putting all the food together and then their system of giving you your thing. It's like, yes, you can replicate it. hundred percent. You can replicate it, but the consistency is the thing too, right? So the consistency is a part of the system. And so to be successful is to have a good system to achieve your goal. Yeah. 100%. Okay. Well, this is great. Now, the other reason I wanted to talk to you, we were trying to figure out how we we're going to approach this, how we we're going to talk about this, but <laughs> you have a very successful husband. And I know that we have a lot of women in our community who have very successful partners, you know, husbands, wives, etc. So what um, what is interesting is what it feels like to be married to a successful partner and then still want to have your own thing and still want to have your own financial independence. And how have you navigated that? Because. Uh, maybe tell us a little bit about what Dan does. Actually, I, that's how I know you as I met yeah. Dan. He said, you got to be my wife. And uh, so, um, but talk a little bit about what he does and, and what he's yeah. done with his career. And then let's talk about what it's like to, to be a partner of someone like that, but then also to want your own financial independence. It, go, it kind of coincides with what you said is you have to become the person, right? Like for me to be a successful female entrepreneur, I have to tell myself that I'm a successful female entrepreneur. If I want to be a good mother, I have to tell myself, I'm a good mother. Um, and so my husband, Dan, runs one of the top SaaS coaching companies in the world. He is one of the top SaaS coaches in the world. And he, so he works with SaaS companies, so software as a service companies, and coaching them to scale up. And he has a few handful of programs. But prior to that, he had two of his startups acquired, actually three. He had three exits, um, two of which incrementally got bigger as he was with me. So I totally alluded to it because of me. I'm his, his, his golden horseshoe. No, um, but it's been really fascinating watching him through this journey. And like, it's, it's fantastic. Obviously, I'm so happy for him. There's a part of it too that's like, I want that. And like, I say that 
not just like off the cuff, but knowing everything that he's had to go through to achieve it, it's still to this day, it's waking up at 4.30 in the morning and working like nine, 10 hour days. It's, it's, it's a grind. But when you have this purpose, you know what you're doing, you love who you're serving, it's not a job. And so he's been an inspiration for me from day one. Um, and But for me, it was, and like he said it so many times, you never have to work again in a day in your life. It's like the most insulting thing that he can say because it's not who I am. Like I'm an author, I'm a speaker, I'm an angel investor, I am a multi-million dollar female entrepreneur, I know how to start businesses, I know how to stop businesses. That's who I am. The, my identity is is who I'm serving, which happens to be female entrepreneurs. Um, but it's it's an interesting dynamic. And yes, I'm probably one of the more successful women in my lineage, which is awesome. Um, I'm also a lighthouse for my sister who's older than me, <laughs> but seeing somebody like my husband thrive and people that like are genuinely care about and admire is so exhilarating. And so I look at that as my like direct connection to what I could do, what I could achieve and supporting him achieve his biggest goals ever. Also means that we have to be good. Uh, also means that we need to be great parents for our two boys so that we have a good like system, a good unit here. Um, yeah, that's so important. And I think, you know, we'll, we have a lot of women in our community who will have taken breaks because, uh, you know, the husband's career has taken priority and they have stepped to the side. What you said there was really, it really resonated that idea that he had a lot of success being connected to you. And I, you said it jokingly, but actually that's, it's not a joke. In reality, we see this happen all the time. We see a lot of women who are the backbone of a lot of these men's businesses. So they might be the person that does all of the initial uh, registrations and emails. And, you know, they might have built the initial, uh, done the initial bookkeeping. They might have, you know, a lot of women yes. say, oh, I'll help you out. Right. And then they end up doing the back. They are, they are the backbone of this business. And I've seen quite a few women, even in our community, where when the marriages didn't work out, not only were they stripped of of the marriage, but they were stripped also of the company they helped mm. build because their name was never on the company. Mm. Their, they were never an employee. They were never a, um, a director in the business. They there there was never any ownership. It was you know and and what we're trying to do a little bit with this series is to really educate you know uh, women to say okay you know let's say you've gone down that road. Let's say you've got the partner who is successful and who has said to you, you don't have to work another day in your life. And let's say you thought that sounded at the time like a pretty good idea because you wanted to look after the kids and whatever. Mm. But let's say now, now you're going, actually, I want, I want something myself. Right. Yeah. So yeah. what, what, what I think we're both saying here is don't ignore that feeling that you mm. too deserve and want to, you know, want something and actually to encourage you to step into that. And it's never too late. I think it's, I think it's really important for women to hear. It's never too late. No matter what decade you're in, it's never too late. And even if you've taken time out, it's never too late. Yeah. No. And, and that rest is actually just as important. So when I started my PR agency, I was eight months pregnant with my first son. And then 11 months later, welcomed my second son. So the first year I had a new business and two new babies. <laughs> um, 
and it burnt me out after like six, seven years, I got so exhausted. I can't do this anymore. So I shut it down. I just like could not do it. And I took some time off and that is much that, that pause, that break is just needed just as much as like a muscle is needed to like, in order to grow, you need to relax it. It needs to recover. It needs to rest. And that break, I know there's a lot of women, a lot of my friends that like took that time off too. They took like four or five, six years. And they're like, oh, now I'm like underqualified, unqualified. It's like, but who's telling you that you're not qualified, right? Who's the person that's saying this? You have so much to offer. Everybody does. Maybe you're not experienced particularly in a certain facet of something you're trying to start. But guess what? You can go online and buy courses. You can go find coaches and mentors and advisors to teach you, to teach you. I know as an investor, we don't necessarily look at the success or the failures of that particular founder's startup so much as we look at that that startup, the founder's ability. If we trust them, if they know they have the drive and the hustle, if they're coachable to be able to create a winning platform or winning product. So you have to trust yourself and you have to believe that you can do it regardless of older. I don't care if you're 60, 70. My mom's like 75 and she's like super incredible stained glass artist. I'm like, you should start a Shopify store. She's like, what's that? And I'm like, oh, I can help you get online, but you just got to make the product, right? And so she's like, cool, cool, let's do this. But yeah, you're never too late. And I think like if there's a calling or some sort of pull and this intuition in you to actually go from being a stay-at-home mom or having taken time off, it's like listen to that calling and why why that why is it happening what intrigues you about it because you regardless of your age or your expertise are you can either become, become a freelancer or a contractor and contribute to somebody else's startup and then do your own thing um but that independence the fact that you are on your own terms contributing is like it's such a good feeling it is such a good feeling well, we we have we're doing a social media superhero boot camp right now, and uh, it was really interesting because one of the gals came on to talk about what because one of the challenges we give them is a one minute live video because most people going through our superhero boot camp uh, have never done a live video, and so we say okay we want you to do a one minute live video and we want you to tell us like what's your biggest takeaway, and she just she said my biggest takeaway is that I need to stop asking for permission. Mm -hmm. She says I've been asking for permission. And I'm, I'm ready to stop asking for permission. And I, you know, and, and, and I always say, don't ask for permission, ask for support. You know, it's about saying to someone, I really want to do this and I need your support in order to do this. I remember the first business course I did, it was on Monday nights in a bar <laughs> in Oxford. <laughs> and it was like, it was, a, and that was where I learned about the word exit. Like, you know, you yeah, earlier yeah, in the interview, yeah. You said my husband exited his businesses. Well, a lot of people don't even know that you can exit a business, which means you can no. sell your business. I didn't know you could do that. So I'm in this wow. bar that's shut Good. down at night and I'm learning about business, like how to build a business, how to sell a business, all this stuff. And um, but I said to him, I said, I, I said, I really want to do this business course, but I'm going to need your support because at the time we had a two year old and a four year old. And they can't put themselves to bed at two and four and they can't be left alone. And I just said, I, I need you to do that so I can do this course. And it was for 12 weeks and, and he agreed to do it, which was great. But I didn't go to him and say, can I take this business course? I said, you know, this business course is available. I think it's going to really benefit me if I take it. Could you be there to support me when mm -hmm. taking care of the kids? And I think that that it's a totally different conversation when you go in with you've already given yourself permission now you mm -hmm. just need them on board. 
Why does it seem to me like men will show up and they'll be like, I'm doing this thing. And a woman will show up and ask, can I do this thing? It's like, what do you want them to say? Yes, honey, I believe in you. Yes. But it's like, you, like you're almost asking for an out. You're asking for a way out because you're showed interest, but then like, oh, I don't really want to do it. Like for me, I started taking drum lessons almost two years ago and I'd been talking about it forever and I kept asking for permission. And then one day I went out and bought a set of drumsticks and a membership to our local music like academy and I started taking drum lessons every Wednesday night. And now I go every Monday night. And I, I never asked for permission. I just said, yo, by the way, Monday night, you got the kids, I'm out of here. I'm doing yep, drum lessons. 100%. Yep. You got it. You go drum away, baby gigs. <laughs> but that, and, and I think part of the reason why that happens is that women are in a position. I remember when I got married. So I, the week we got married, my job had ended. Uh, and it was in, I, we were living in Switzerland. And in Switzerland, they basically assume if you're getting married, you're going to have kids right away. And they, you know, when, when they, when they even sniff kids coming and you're a woman, you're out, you know, they didn't get the vote till the 1970s. And then you're still, you're still expected to feed your children at home at 11 o'clock every day. So they go off to school for about two hours and then they come back for lunch and then they go back to school for about two hours. That's how the Swiss system works. It's not designed for women to work. And so anyway, the job ended and I got married and I, I remember feeling really strange, you know, cause I no longer was 50% of the income or 40%, whatever I was bringing in at the time I was, I was no longer contributing. And so it didn't feel like my money. It felt like it was his money. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and then after a while, when I was the person who was organizing, you know, that we had two properties in the UK and I was organizing the rentals. And then I was, you know, I had to get the carpets in and I had to get some, then I started taking ownership. It's like, well, hold on. I'm doing all this work to make sure that we have more income coming in and we've got all these things taken care of. And I'm the person responsible for this. So I started to not feel that way. I had to make a mindset shift that, his, we're married now. His money is my money. My money is his money. We're a yeah. team. And, you know, there's going to be times when I'm making more than he is and he's making more than I am. And we're going to have to just navigate that together. And it has been interesting. And a very wise woman who is older than me and had been married longer than me, she said, the best marriages are the ones that flip flop like that. The ones where both people are able to pursue their dreams at different points in times. And sometimes it's hard for both people to pursue at the same time. But this idea that you're there for them and they're there for you, but it's never one sided. That was her. Yeah, the, the ups and flows. Um, Philip McKernan said this best at this like couples retreat that we went to. He was talking about him and his wife and how he was like growing with his business and the stuff he was doing. And he was like climbing this mountain. He was trying to pull Paulina, his wife with him. Right. And this is like a metaphor. And she wasn't ready. She wasn't ready to do that thing because she was just in a different season of her life. And he was like, come, honey, pulling her up. Finally, he just let go and was like, I'm going to go to the top of this mountain. You can stay here and figure out your way to the top. And the moment that he let go was the moment their marriage got better. It was a moment that everything about both of them got better because we're individuals, regardless of being with a partner or married or having children, is like we have our own journey that we have to go on and we don't need other people's permission to do it, especially yeah. not a husband's permission. <laughs> well, we need to stop asking. I think that's yeah. the, I think this message is clear. We got to stop asking for permission. We have to own our decisions, mm -hmm. figure out how we're going to do it if we want to do it. And I think the most important thing is if your marriage or your partnership is important to you, 
then you figure out how to navigate what you want to do while including them, you know, yeah. and I think I learned yeah. that lesson, you know, I, when I wanted to do the Iron Man, I kind of announced I was doing the Iron Man and I didn't really ask for permission on that one <laughs> or I didn't really ask for support. I just said, this is what I want to do. And I do remember my husband kind of going, hang on, like, do you even know how much time that's going to take out of the family and blah, blah, blah. And so when I decided to actually go for the proper Ironman, I did the half Ironman first and then I did the Ironman. And I remember saying to him, um, you know, I didn't ask you last year if I could do the half Ironman and you, you know, you, I could tell you were upset about that. Like, is it okay if I do the Ironman this year? And, and I do remember saying that, but it was mostly because I felt the tension, you know, and I think it is also being aware of what the other person is going through. And again, we had really little kids still and, you know, and the Ironman takes like 20 hours of training a week, yeah. as well as working, as well as all the other stuff. So, you know, it was interesting. And I ended up probably self, kind of sabotaging my training a little bit just because I was trying to please or trying Everybody. to please. Yeah, my husband's, uh, he did the half Ironman last year and he's doing a full one this year. So I know it's like, I swear to God, 24 hours a day, I hear that stationary bike going. <laughs> I'm like, it's, oh, and that's like, doesn't end. And he's always running or he's like something. Um, yeah. luckily for him is he can do a lot of that during the workday. He literally has a desk set up on his stationary bike so he can take phone calls and he can do his work. Um, it's still a lot of support though, cause there's still going to the pool. There's still the running part of it. Luckily mm -hmm. our kids are a little bit older, so they're a little bit more independent. Um, they still require childcare though. They're seven and eight years old, but it is a big commitment and he never asked permission at all. He's like, here's my schedule. Here's my training schedule. Bye, honey. And I'm like, that's a lot. <laughs> I guess what we're saying is there's 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 an opportunity here to ask for support, to get to get into the conversation about what you want, but also to, you know, to not feel like you 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 have to ask for permission to say, give permission to yourself first and then have that conversation about how this is going to get accomplished. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, I think what I realized is. I just wanted to make sure I was doing something that was keeping me fit and healthy. And I knew that when I was training, I had a sharper mind. You know, I knew that when I was running and pushing myself that I, in fact, my best ideas come when I'm out running. And it's very often that I will message people on my team like, hey, I'm running and I just had this thought. And it's, you know, it's actually breaking the monotony of where you're sitting and what you're doing. Like if you have a really hard problem to solve, sometimes just breaking what you're doing and going and going outside and getting fresh air, getting your heart rate up. It really helps change your, your, your mindset. Oh, yeah. and your thoughts. I always tell my clients that they're in this like rut to go outside. I mean, if it's summertime, um, take off your shoes, plant your feet on the ground and hug a tree. And they're like, Renee, and I've, that happened several times. I remember this one woman, Jody, she's like, that's great. That's the advice you're giving me. I'm like, just go to do it and call me back. And then she did. And she goes, that's crazy. And she, hadn't been running for a while and she's a runner um but after she did that simple thing she's like i really want to go running now and so she started running again and even if it was just 20 minutes one day 30 minutes the next it got her back into this routine and like she wasn't asking for permission she was doing it she was going out and running and having like the healthiest version of herself more inspired making better decisions because she's just got the serotonin running through her body it's like when we allow ourselves that freedom to disconnect from the thing that we're trying to solve or work on or perfect gives you that ability to do things better. Like I know I'm a better parent, I'm a better partner, a better leader when I work out 
or when I'm actually doing something that's not just working. Mm -hmm. No, it's so true. And it's like, you know, you need to do it. And you know, you'll be better for doing it. Um, Interestingly enough, I was just, as you were saying that, I was just thinking about this concept of, we've talked a lot about permission and and getting permission or not getting permission, asking for support. Um, But let's also talk about what financial freedom gives you, what financial Mm -hmm. independence gives you. I think because so many women don't have financial independence, they don't understand what it allows them to do. So let's talk about what financial independence allows you to do um, or allows the business owners that you work with to do. What's what is it? What's the difference? What's the difference between someone who's not financially independent and someone who is? And, And just give some examples. Well, it's a decision, really. I mean, first of all, if you have them, if you have food, if you have shelter, if you have clothes, like that is a pretty good start. And that's a leg up than most people in the world. Um, and financial freedom, there's part of it that's like kind of self-defined because I know a lot of women that don't work and their husbands do very well for themselves. And they're like, I'm totally financially free. I don't have to worry about having to pay for anything. Um, and then there's some other women like myself who the financial freedom is not having the guilt of spending money that quote belongs to somebody else right and so i grew up in a household my father said we don't discuss money we don't share any information about our finances to anybody and the money that you have in your bank account was never given to you it is money you earned you go and you work for it okay and so that's what i genuinely believe so for me it allows me to make purchasing decisions without having to ask for permission with realistically or without feeling guilty about investing or spending on something that I want. And I think it's empowering. Like I just recently became officially an angel investor and wrote probably the biggest check of my life with my own money. It wasn't my husband, it was my money. And I was like, that is my investment that I worked my butt off to make the money that I can now give back to the community. So that is so freeing. It's so freeing. And like, I'm a super feminist too. One of my favorite books is by a doctor called, uh, or an author, Dr. Valerie Rain. And she wrote this book, The Patriarchy Stress Disorder. And her argument is that all women are born into um, the patriarchy, that trauma, regardless of how free your nation is, regardless of how free your culture is, is that we still have inherited this trauma. And it goes into everything we believe, the things that we say, how we carry ourselves. And what she tries to teach people is that instead of having these prison guards that keep us in this prison, this prison really is like the expectations of us from society. Stay at home, mom, breastfeed for two years, like all these things, which is what, if that's what you do, that's awesome, but it's not for everybody, right? And if it's what you do and it's not really who you are, then this is why. But what she's trying to say is that instead of having these prison guards that keep you stuffed in this prison so that you're cute and comfortable and everything is good being a woman in society, is they break free and these prison guards turn into bodyguards. And so now you have these men, the patriarchy, behind you supporting your mission, supporting what you do, right? Mm -hmm. And so like, if you want to be a stay-at-home mom, but that's your decision, it's not a cultural decision, right? It's not a, it's no, it's not pressure from anybody. It's what you want to do. If you want to quit your job and leave the house and go start a business when you have a five week old baby, that's okay. You're going to have people support you. That's what I did. So both my boys were five weeks old when I stopped breastfeeding 
and we got help for the boys and I went and I continued working in my agency because that's what I wanted to do. That came with so much, so many opinions, right? Mm -hmm. And there's so much hate and so much like, oh, your kids are going to be screwed up. And my youngest son's a little bit whiny. Um, it's just who he is. And someone once said to me, do you think it's because you stopped breastfeeding so early that he's such a whiny kid? Oh my God. And I'm like, you know what? No. So what? <laughs> I'm like, no. I love that. But, so what? So yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, where, where in your life did you hear something that allowed you to believe that that could be a thing? Mm. And like, how disgraceful is that to think that way? And well, I, was, I was saying to someone today in one of the coaching calls we had that people's opinions and judgments are based on their perception mm -hmm. of life. It's mm -hmm. not about you. It's about them. Yep. It's 100% about them. And yep. so, so that's her opinion, but that's based on her experience, her life. And everyone yep. brings their own viewpoint to the situation. Um, that's so but interesting. Women are the worst at saying things to hurt you and it's not there was no constructive part of that conversation right yeah. there's no there's no hey renee like did you ever think about this or maybe try this it was like well it's because you didn't breastfeed long enough and i'm like that hurt because i already had problems with the process i wasn't producing enough milk so i already felt guilty right and now all of a sudden i'm like i'm done i'd rather my baby be fed and me back to work than me frustrated not fed, cranky baby. Like at the end of the day, what happened, what unfolded was a beautiful thing. My kids are happy, they're healthy, they're thriving. I was a happy mom. And so, so what? My kid was only breastfed for five weeks. Ah, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. <laughs> I love it. I Well, and, and this goes back to also what your values are. And we talked yeah. about that in the coaching call. Like, when you know what your values are, when you know what you stand for, everything you say comes out of that. And actually, it's really interesting. I'm, I don't know how familiar you are with what's going on with Rachel Hollis or who Rachel Hollis yeah. is, but yeah, she she is very interesting because I, I have a lot of respect for her actually, and I've I've read all of her books and and followed her for a while. And interestingly enough, uh, and she has screwed up big time, but she also admits that. But what I find really interesting about it is when she did kind of come back and do a podcast that's that kind of explained, you know, everything. She said, if I had stuck to who I was and what my values are, the words that I said never would have come out of my mouth. Mm. And I think it's a good reminder to all of us that when you know what your values are and the way you frame your words come out of your values then you are checking yourself before you say something, you know, check yourself before you wreck yourself. I think that's, <laughs> but you know, I, I, and it's so true. And it's like, I, I think that person who said to you what they said to you, I mean, I have a thing with my kids. I say to them, is that hurtful or helpful? Mm -hmm. Like what you just said, was that hurtful or helpful? And if we agree that in our house, we're going to say helpful things and not hurtful things, how could you rephrase that? Yep. You know, and I think people just have to understand what and they have to do the work. If you don't know what your values are, it's going to be very hard to navigate what you say and what you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. One of my values is non-judgmental and open-minded. And uh, it was really funny because I went for my run this morning 
And there I am running along and there's this mom pushing her baby with a phone and the baby's in there and the baby's Googling up at her and she's looking at her phone. And I was like, don't judge. Don't judge. <laughs> I know. Do not judge. You know what it's like. You know what it's like. Hours on your own with a child who can't speak to you. You know what it's like. Don't oh judge. Oh my God. I know. It's so <laughs> hard. It's like, it's like this default into what it's like if you portray this perfect society, especially like in Western culture is like, yes, that mother should not have been on her phone and she should have been 100% paying attention to her child, all of their coups and and calls for attention. It's like, really? It's like, I hate- Have you ever had a baby? <laughs> right, well, first of all, that. I also hate when people are like, but that's not the way it was for us when I had kids 15, 20 years ago. And I'm like, that's great. Do you also know what was in the formula you were serving your kid back then? <laughs> I don't know, right? Do you remember the lead paint you used to use to paint the nursery? I don't think that was a great decision. And now you're judging me because I have my phone on and my kids napping. No, it's just, you're right about the whole, somebody's opinion comes from their indoctrination, right? Mm -hmm. It comes from so many things, culture, religion, parents, just like so much like, and it's like, we have to respect that unless it's like absolutely abusive or destructive in any means, then call them out on it. But, for mo most things that we argue about right now are just so tiny and it just makes, it just blows things up and it doesn't have to be that way. But I'm actually really good about doing that when I fight with my husband. <laughs> I'm really good at finding a little peanut of an issue and just making it huge. Turn it into popcorn. <laughs> yeah, <poop. laughs> pop, pop. <laughs> oh yeah, well, you know, it's really interesting because um, yes, on that marriage conversation, I think when you are married, when you're in a marriage where both people are pursuing something or where, you know, they're both high profile, which I'm not saying we are in that marriage, but but my husband was an Olympic gold medalist and, and he does have a certain stature. And so we, we do have those moments, you know, where we have to, you know, we have to be really respectful of where we're at and, and, yeah. you know, and he supports me massively and I have to also, you know, be really thankful for that and, and want to be thankful for that. In fact, I'm super, he's away today. And usually cause he works from home and he's like, he's like, um, I tease him about being like the energizer bunny and he's got, he's very, <laughs> he's very routine very yeah. systematic, you know, talk about systems. That's why he's a gold medalist. He's got systems. Yeah. And at 11 o'clock, he's got toast and tea. And at 12 o'clock, he's yeah. got lunch. And at two o'clock, he's got tea and hot cross bun. And he's got a really systematic way of doing things. And so I'm often on calls, teaching, doing whatever, and he'll just pop in and drop off the food. And, just oh. the food. and of course he was gone today. And I was like, what Where's are you Where's my toast? <laughs> I thought I talked to him earlier. I said, I almost called you at 12 and said, like, where's my lunch? Yeah. But um, I do think it's it's interesting, like to learn how to 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 work with someone. And when we were in a period of me working way too much and not being there enough, I didn't recognize how far it had gone. And mm -hmm. it was only through him making me aware and then me doing the work. And I think it was and I think that happens a lot in a lot of homes. It happens the other way around where the, the husband is working all the time, doesn't realize what they're doing to the family. And then the wife has to say something. And then you've got this conversation, like you've got to work on yourself. And it was actually interesting because that's when I really understood the concept that you cannot change anyone else. You can only change yourself, mm -hmm. but by changing yourself, you change someone else. And that's what I, you know, what I really leaned into was, okay, what changes do I personally have to make to make this work? 
Mm. Because if I want this to work and if I want this relationship to be strong and if I want this relationship to last, there's some changes I need to make. And I was really willing to make those, but I, I needed to dig deep and realize that I have only control over me. Mm -hmm. So true. I, and I wanted to mention this one thing that I did. So my husband used to travel all the time pre-COVID. He was gone for at least a week a month, sometimes two. It's actually became a part of our like our relationship was expected. And when COVID hit and we were locked in our house for a few months, I was like, oh God, <laughs> how's this going to go? But there was one moment that I was not the most mature Renee version of myself, I will admit. However, it was like he was busy traveling, work and pleasure, but I was at home full time with the kids, no help. They were in school, I think. So they were still gone from like eight till whatever, three. Um, it's still a lot of work. And I remember I sent him when he got just as he was coming back, because he, yes, he was gone for two weeks. I had actually logged my hours in terms of the stuff that I did through my unpaid work at home. In two weeks, my invoice for him for raising his children was $36,000. <laughs> and he Wait, goes, what? I, I love you didn't invoice. Goes, what is this? And I go, just so you know, the time that I couldn't work on my business because I was raising, I was babysitting your kids. <laughs> That's how much it's going to cost you. And then I don't know. I, he obviously didn't take it very well, but I wanted to prove the point. A lot of women, mostly women, and there's a lot of more men now showing up to be 50, 50 in parenting, which is awesome. Mostly it's the women and their time is so valuable, so valuable. And so like, I actually had a very detailed breakdown of the task. I'm like, this is a $50 an hour task. This is a $200 an hour task. This is a $25 an hour task. And I tracked my time and the invoice came to $36,000. And I'm like, you can either pay it or you can, you know, respect me a little bit more when I, you know, when I do these things and he's like, that's, he's like, that's crazy girl. I was like, I don't know. I know. I just wanted to prove a point. That is such a good idea because, um, and I'm going to tell that story a lot. Um, to my students because I tell people uh, a lot of people will do a free job or two when they're just getting started with social media that's what we teach at Tech Pixies so they'll do you know they might do a freebie for like a month two months three months for somebody just to get the experience like you said get those testimonials and then start building up your portfolio and what I say to them is if you do a month two months three months never more than three months but if you do free work I want you to send an invoice of the work that you've done. You discount it 100%, but you still send the invoice so that the person that you did the free work for um, really knows what you actually did for them. There's a value to it. Even if you, they don't pay you, there's a value to it. I love the concept of just tracking what you're doing with your kids mm -hmm. and just getting, you know, if I had to hire somebody else to do this, what exactly. would this cost? That's that. That's the point. I said, yeah, we had to hire somebody else to come in and do the work at my level of expertise, right? That is how much it would have cost you. Yeah. And he's like, I get it. And I feel like women so undervalue themselves. They're like, oh, well, it's my job to raise my kids. I think it's also dad's job. I don't know if he contributed <laughs> somehow, <laughs> right? And, and it's just, it's okay. It's just ask for help. Like just ask women, just ask, empty the dishwasher. Just do it. Every Tuesday night, it's your night. Dishwasher dude. Well, That's you it. know, I love, have you read the, you should interview her on your podcast, Eve Rodsky. I did an interview mm -hmm. with her. She wrote the book Fair Play. And she mm -hmm. says, when you have high cognition and low emotion, 
which, you know, get a glass of wine, high cognition, low emotion, have a conversation around who does what tasks. And she even has a card game and you can see who does the grind, the grind task, uh, like the, you know, that, that the grind tasks are things like the trash, mm -hmm. the groceries, the cooking, the cleaning, right? And then who does like the kind of less grind task, like the kids' birthday parties and the thank you notes yeah. and the organizing. But so, you know, the things, and then, but what she talks about in this book, Fair Play, which I think is so important, is understanding what roles you value, like what, what jobs you value, because what jobs you value and what jobs your partner value might be totally different. So for example, if I don't value taking out the trash and my partner does value taking out the trash, but my job is to take out the trash and I don't value it, I'm not likely to take it out. And so it's getting, it's making sure that the roles that you agree to do are in alignment with the things that you think carry value. Yes. But she also talks about, and she's a management consultant, she talks about owning the job, right? Mm -hmm. So if you own the trash, you own the trash. That's your job. You do mm -hmm. it. You do it start to finish. And that's what ended up happening in their marriage was he, he just owned the trash. So, you know, she, she's, she valued a, a trashless house and he didn't and the trash was everywhere. And then she said, I had to explain to him that I grew up in a house where there was trash all the time and mm. it bothers me. And I want to live yep. in a trash free house. And you said you would take that job. So your job is to actually take it out and keep our house trash free. And it was really interesting how she talks about how to do that. So Yes. Well, I really appreciate the conversation that we've had. And I think it's important to have this conversation because there's so many different ways that women experience uh, finances. There's so many different ways that women experience marriage and partnerships. And what I wanted to do with the series was bring to light different ways that people experience that and how they deal with it. So I think you've really done that for us you know, we know that you have worked so hard to help women uh, become financially independent uh, and financially empowered. And that's so important, especially right now, as uh, women have been, uh, many women have been really hard hit by the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So entrepreneurship certainly is a route to financial independence, um, financial empowerment. And, uh, and I know that you're working hard to make that possible for a lot of women. So thank you so much for being here. Where can people find you if they want to connect with you? Yes. Thanks, Joy. Uh, Instagram, Renee underscore Warren, W-A-R-R-E-N. Um, or my website, wewildwomen.com. Excellent. Thanks so much.